Let me invite you, church, to open your Bible. Isaiah chapter 55. We've been studying the book of Isaiah. I told you early on, Isaiah is the most relative book in the Bible for those of us that are living in modern Western America during this season. Um, the, remember, I've told you, the Bible is not written about you, but the, the Bible is written for you. And so we're actually reading words of a prophet that were addressed to a sinful nation. Isaiah is God's word to a sinful nation. Uh, just a little bit of the history of this sinful nation. You know, God had entered into a covenant with this, this one man, Abraham, and had promised that, that through this one man, uh, he would become a great nation, and this nation would be a blessing to all the nations of the world. And yet, Israel has broken the covenant with God. They have actually become politically divided. They've actually split into two different kingdoms, a northern kingdom, and a southern kingdom because there was so much political division in the country and um, there were threats that had come. Assyria, an outside godless nation, had now conquered the northern kingdom and the armies of Babylon were aligned on the borders of the southern kingdom coming in and they were about to uh, invade the capital, overthrow the government and drag the people into exile where they were tempted to be assimilated into a godless culture and worship the gods of the culture. So, we read this book just in case we ever might someday find ourselves in a similar situation where the nation's politically divided and we are tempted to be assimilated as God's people worshiping the gods of this world. And yet into that, there is a word of hope. There are these three themes. Did somebody turn this thing on? There it is. There are these three themes in the book of Isaiah. There is the sin of God's people. There is the judgment of God on his people for sin. And yet, we find this incredible hope. When we get to chapter 40 through the rest of the book, it's all about this message of hope. The question is, how is God going to save and rescue his people? What about the promises that God has made that this nation would be a blessing to all nations? How is God going to get that done? And then we open up to chapter 53. A couple of weeks ago, Pastor Micah took you through one of the best chapters of the Bible. I was so frustrated that I didn't get to preach chapter 53 because I had to go see mom. And Micah did a fantastic job. In chapter 53, this is what we learned. We learned the way that God is going to save them. The way of salvation is through this suffering servant. God is going to send a servant, interestingly, in the book of Isaiah, he calls the nation of Israel a servant, and yet we see a second servant, a suffering substitutionary servant that is going to live and die a representative life for this entire nation, God's people. And we read in Isaiah 55 verse 5, but he, this suffering servant, was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him the, uh, the ch was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we 
are healed. That's God's way of salvation for a nation. That's God's way of salvation for every individual. This is the way we're saved, through a suffering servant. We know because 700 years later, Jesus arrived to be this suffering servant. And on the cross, this was fulfilled as he was pierced with those nails on the cross. He absorbed the wrath of God so that we could be in covenant relationship with God. Then we get to chapter 54, and I don't have time to preach chapter 54, but it's so good I had to show you a couple of things here. In chapter 54, we find the result of this salvation. Here's what's happening. In chapter 54, verses 7 and 8, for a brief moment, I, God, deserted you because of your sin, but with great compassion, I will gather you. In overflowing anger, for a moment, I hid my face from you, but with everlasting love, I have compassion on you, says the Lord, your Redeemer. Let me ask you a question. When you think about the God that's represented in the Old Testament, does the word compassion come to mind? He is a God of compassion. For a moment, He expressed great anger in judgment. But notice, in everlasting love, He has shown great compassion on those he has redeemed. By the way, we sang a song earlier today that included the last verse of chapter 54. We want to look at that. So the last verse of Isaiah 54 says this, no weapon that is formed against you shall succeed and you shall refute every tongue that rises against you in judgment. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord and their vindication from me declares the Lord. So for the redeemed, there is not an accusation from the devil or any of his emissaries that will ever stand in the courtroom of God. We are pardoned, complete innocent before the Lord. That's the result of salvation. So finally we get to chapter 55 and in chapter 55 we find the appropriate required response to the message of salvation. Based on everything God has done to save us, the question is, how are you going to respond to that? Are you just going to sit back and say, well, how fortunate for me. God has done everything necessary. And then yawn your way through the rest of your life ignoring this covenant relationship with your great Redeemer God. There is no way for you to read about the salvation that God has provided without being appropriately brought to your knees in faith and repentance and surrendering to the Lordship of this great servant, Savior God, who has redeemed us. And so we're going to dive into in this for a minute. I just want you to know that there is no salvation without a response of faith and repentance. So Isaiah 55 is all about an invitation to respond. And today, even if you've responded 50 years ago in salvation, like Reagan when he was 11, hearing the gospel and responding in repentance and faith. Today, Reagan Jones needs to respond in faith and repentance to the message of salvation, just like every day. It's not something that happened yesterday. It's something that happens 
Every day, every time I hear about the message of salvation, there is a required response to that message of faith and repentance. So we're going to learn three things this morning. The first is this, our thirst is undeniable. Look at chapter 55, verse 1. Come, you see the invitation? Everyone who thirsts, underline the word thirst in verse 1, Come to the waters. He who has no money, come. By the way, how many of you are in that category? You have no money? Raise your hand. Confession in church, honesty, no money. Listen, you can come. Even if you have money, you couldn't buy the salvation. That's what he says. He says, you buy it with no money. He says, he who has no money, come, buy. Don't just window shop. Don't just browse on Amazon Prime. Add it to the cart. Buy it now. Make the purchase. Make the transaction. Become an owner of this thing that is salvation. Buy and eat. Come. For the fourth, fifth time, he says, come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Interestingly, he mentions these three different thirst quenchers. Water milk, and wine. Water, when you're spiritually dehydrated, and you just have to have something to survive. You can't survive long without water. And then milk, what do you get from milk? You get protein, right? I mean, how many of you like milk? Anybody just like, some people like really like milk, and some people are like, why would you ever want to drink something that comes from a cow? It's like, I don't get that. It's a dairy product, and how many of you are lactose intolerant? That, so, you're like, you, you milk, right? But you need protein, right? Protein produces growth. And then you have wine. That's different than milk. That, you drink wine for pleasure, right? Now, not, don't drink too much. That would be sin. But you've got You've got something to satisfy your thirst. You've got something to build your muscle. And you've got something just to enjoy. All of that happens when you consume and respond what God offers in salvation. Verse 2 says, Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Underline the word satisfy. Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. I love it. Eat what is good, like broccoli. Delight yourselves in rich food, like Krispy Kreme donuts. Does everybody understand the difference between broccoli and Krispy Kreme? All right? It's, it's good in, in some sense to have the broccoli. It's healthy. But there is a delight that is experienced when you have a Krispy Kreme donut that you don't get when you eat the broccoli. Am I getting any amens in church here this morning? All right. That's the kind of salvation he offers. It's not just something that's good for you. It's something you enjoy when you are in right relationship with the Lord. This word thirst that's found in verse 1 is a metaphor. It's a word picture. For a God-given appetite that longs to be satisfied by God alone. Thirst is your appetite for God. Do you have an appetite for God? Do you thirst to know Him? To love Him? To be in His presence? 
Can you remember a time you were absolutely spiritually dehydrated? I played football in high school in Oklahoma. They thought that somehow they could motivate us by not giving us water until the end of practice. And so I can remember some times where my body was just longing to have an intake of water. That kind of longing should be true for every human being who's ever been created. This theme of thirst is all over the Bible. Let me show it to you in Psalm chapter 42, verse 1. As the deer pants for the flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Can you taste your thirst? The theme continues in Psalm 63, verse 1. It says this, O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Do you ever feel like you're living in a dry and weary land where there is nothing that can quench your thirst? That is the experience of every human being. Our thirst is what is meant to drive us to something outside of this world. Our thirst is a dryness in our soul that seeks to be satisfied. Let me put it this way. You and I, we have an ocean-sized cavern of need that is barely moistened by the trickle of a thousand earthly streams. Do you sense it? Have you run to everything else in this world to try to quench this God-given thirst in your soul? And no matter what you try, you wake up every morning and you're just not satisfied. That soul thirst is meant to drive you to God. It's the longing that you have to be valued at work. It's the desire to be noticed in a crowded room. It's the desire that you have to be cherished by someone who loves you. It's the disappointment that you feel when you just didn't feel like you got your money's worth when you went to that overpriced restaurant and ate that overpriced meal. It was, it was good, but it was just like, and just, it wasn't quite everything you wanted it to be. It's the fear that we have of coming to the end of our lives and wondering whether or not it made any difference at all. It's the frustration that you have in human relationship when somebody lets you down or doesn't meet your expectation. It's the It's the despair you realize when you've surfed through every option on Netflix and Disney Plus and you feel like none of it looks appealing. It's when you get to the end of everything you could possibly scroll through and you just didn't get enough likes, you just didn't find anything to satisfy. It's the sense that there's something missing after you open all your Christmas presents and you you got everything you want, 
but you're just not satisfied. It's the ambition that we have to succeed and it's the desire to win at competition. And yet, after all of those things, you wake up the next morning and I just don't feel like my thirst has been quenched. It's a God-given desire that can only be satisfied with a God-supplied source. Our thirst is undeniable. Secondly, the Lord is accessible. Look here at verse 3. He says, you want to quench your thirst? Here's what you should do. Here's the prescription. Incline your ear and come. Fifth time we've seen that word, come. To me, hear that your soul may live. And I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. He's speaking of King David. And you can go back to 2 Samuel chapter, or 1 Samuel chapter 7 and find out all about uh, this covenant that God made with David, which was actually a renewal of a covenant that God made with Abraham. This covenant relationship with these people, God's chosen people, it can be restored, it can be renewed. Verse 4, Behold, I made him a witness to the people, a leader and a commander for the peoples. Verse 5, Behold, you shall be called a nation, you shall call a nation that you do not know, and a nation that did not know you shall run to you because the Lord your God and of the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. So he predicts, he promises that he's not finished with his people. And it's all contingent upon their response. The Lord is accessible. How are you going to respond to this Lord who has done so much to redeem you? And the question lies today for us in this nation. We are a nation that is benefiting from the covenant relationship that God had with the nation of Israel. This is really a fulfillment of what we're experiencing today. Here we are in what would be considered a foreign nation to Israel. And here we are studying a Hebrew text and a covenant God made with another nation they have been a blessing to us. Through Jesus, we have this covenant fulfillment, a son of David. We have this covenant relationship. But it's all contingent on verse 3, on us inclining our ear to come and hear what the Lord has to say. What has to say. It means tuning your ear to the frequency that God is broadcasting on. There is no shortage of things for you to listen to. We're living in an information explosion. And in order for you to actually respond appropriately to the Lord, you are probably going to have to turn off other voices. It would do us all well to shut down the media, to get off of social media for a while and listen to the Lord. That's one of the reasons I had you do the 100 days Bible reading challenge the last 100 days of 2020. Because I knew if you were going to spend an hour or two reading 12 chapters of the Bible every day, that was going to be an hour or two you weren't going to have time to listen to talk radio and political commentary and all of that. That's what it means to incline your ear to the voice of the Lord. No shortage of voices to try to compete for your ear. And then he says, that your soul may live. We kept seeing the word soul, this dryness in our soul. The, the word soul has become very much in vogue 
just in the last few weeks in our culture. Uh, our new president um, is challenging us uh, to, to address the soul of the nation, and that's part of the messaging of the new president. And, and uh, Disney, Pixar has, has released a new movie, and the title is Soul. How many of you have seen the new Disney, Pixar movie, Soul? And it's like, I, I didn't know what to expect. Turn that thing on, watch that thing. I'm like, <gasps> now listen. You do not want to tune in to Disney to learn theology about God. Does everybody understand that? Turn to your neighbor and say, don't learn theology from Disney. Don't, don't, that's, not where you, that's not where you get answers about God. But listen to me. That movie was asking the right questions. They address the fact that there's an immaterial part of us that longs to be satisfied. We're introduced to this character named Joe, and Joe dies a premature death, and he goes to a place outside of this world, which seems to have a little biblical context to it. There's a place outside of this world. It's not just a material world. There's something immaterial about us that has a, a destiny, an eternal destiny. The soul is eternal. And, and we find out that Joe doesn't want to die because he looks back at his life, it just hasn't been that satisfying. He's like, I haven't accomplished anything, and I don't know if it's significance, and I just, want, I just want to live. And that's a universal condition. And so Disney's kind of tapped into this universal human condition of, of wanting to have significance. And, and, and then he meets in the, the other world, he, he meets a noob. A noob is a disembodied soul. And the, we find out that just like Joe doesn't want to live, the noob doesn't want to die. Um, Joe doesn't want to die, and the noob doesn't want to live because he looks down at the world. He's like, that's a scary place. It doesn't look like there's anything satisfying down there. I think I'll stay up here. So it's asking all the right questions. Fortunately for us, we have the answers. But the, real, the reality is there is a universal longing within the soul of man to connect to something outside of this world. And it can only connect when we respond to the voice of the Lord, incline our ear to the voice of the Lord. Look at verse 6. He says this. This is a command, by the way. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. Seek the Lord. Now he's not telling us that in a way that is trying to motivate you to seek as if you weren't already seeking. The universal condition, everyone is seeking something. The directive here is to seek the Lord exclusively because your thirst will only be quenched when it is connected to the Lord. Seek the Lord. The Lord's done everything necessary to be found. The Lord wants you to find Him. And he tells us there's a window of time, apparently. We're to seek him while he may be found. Which tells us there's going to come a time when he cannot be found. We are living in an age where the door is open. The Lord is accessible. There will come a day when final judgment will come. And on the day that you take your last breath, on the other side of that breath... If you have not sought the Lord before that time, 
you will have no other opportunity to seek a right relationship with the Lord. Seek the Lord today. Seek the Lord decisively. Understanding that nothing else I will ever seek will ever satisfy my soul. My soul was created to thirst for God. And if it does not get quenched by the Lord, it will never be quenched by anything in this world. And then he addresses our sin. It's in verse 7. It says, let the wicked forsake his way. It's wickedness that creates the dryness in our soul. So in order to have our thirst quenched, we must forsake wickedness. And the unrighteous man, his thoughts, let him return to the Lord, that he may have compassion on him, that the Lord will abundantly pardon. So what is this wickedness? If I ask you, are you a wicked person? You probably is like, well, I'm, I've met a few wicked people. Now I wouldn't put that myself in that category. Listen, let's, let's have a proper understanding of wickedness and sin. Wickedness is when you seek anything but that which can satisfy your soul. And the Lord wants to protect you from that. And so we've all committed the acts of wickedness. Another prophet uh, that was uh, in the, this age, speaking to the sin of Israel, was Jeremiah. In Jeremiah's book in chapter 2, he shows us what sin is. He says this, My people have committed two evils. Let's see if you've committed these two evils. Number one, they have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters. That's the first evil. Here's the second one. And they've hewn out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. You get a picture of this guy with a shovel. And uh, he's out there in the desert, and, and man, he is digging, and he's digging a hole. And a cistern is meant to collect rainwater because you're going to get thirsty, and so you need to prepare for this, and, and hopefully it's going to rain enough, and there's going to be enough water for you to collect from the cistern. But the problem is these are broken cisterns. They don't hold water. They leak. And the reality is every one of us has dug a hole to try to find something that will satisfy our thirst. And how stupid are we that we are expending ourselves in sweat and labor trying to dig holes for ourselves that can't hold water when right over here is a fountain of living water, a never-ending supply of that which will quench our thirst. That is what it means to be wicked or to be evil. And the Lord says, turn from that. Here, here's the definition of sin. Sin is simply trying to quench a God-given thirst in a God-forbidden way. And we do it with a thousand things. First thing that comes to mind is certainly the sexual sin. The only thing that will quench Sexual desire in a God-approved way is sex between a man and a woman within the context of a covenant relationship called marriage. That's the only way to quench that thirst. The only way to 
quench other thirst, is to do things in a God-approved way. And yet we run to things like alcohol, we run to things like um, chemicals, and we run to things like entertainment and, and rebellion and, and fighting and power and wealth and money. Those are holes that we dig, broken cisterns that can never satisfy our thirst. And the reason we know that is so many of you could tell stories of saturating your lives with this stuff. And realize, you know what? It didn't satisfy. No matter how much you consumed, it never satisfied. And the only way to satisfy your thirst is to forsake your wicked way, turn toward the Lord. It's a picture of repentance and salvation. There is no quenching of your thirst without repentance and faith, believing that the source that I need is the Lord and turning to Him. And if you've never done that decisively in a moment in time, then right here, right now, I implore you, seek the Lord. Turn from your wicked way. Repent. Turn your back on all that stuff that will never satisfy and trust the Lord in faith. He's done everything possible, everything He's needed to do to quench your thirst. Come to Him. C.S. Lewis said, said it this way, if I find in myself a desire which no earthly experience can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. God created nothing in this world to quench your thirst. Our thirst can only be satisfied by connecting to the source, the fountain of living water from outside this world. The reality is your thirst will, ever, will either drive you to God or your thirst will drive you insane as you dig holes trying to find something to satisfy. You don't have to go insane. Just let your thirst drive you to God. And go immediately, right here, right now, repent and believe, respond to the message you're hearing. Not only immediately, but seek the Lord continually. We wake up every day thirsty, and then we live the rest of the day choosing that which we will drink from. We will either dig holes, create broken cisterns, or we will run to the fountain of living water. We need to embrace what Paul Tripp calls the nowism of the gospel. Here's what he means. Most of us have a pretty good understanding of, of gospel past. Most of you maybe even memorized a phrase we use around here a lot. We say, what is the gospel? It's, it's real simple. God is holy, man is sinful, Christ is Savior, repent and believe. And like, yeah, I did that like when I was 11, like what Reagan was talking about. The question is, did you do that today? Every time you hear the gospel, we must repent and believe. We need to embrace the right here, right now-ism of the gospel. The only way to benefit from the fountain of living water is to turn every day from broken cisterns and to drink deeply from that fountain. And so we seek the Lord every day. We have to come to Him and admit, Lord, I'm thirsty. I'm thirsty. 
You, you say, well, wait a minute. Didn't Jesus say, if you drink of the living water, didn't he tell the woman at the well, if you drink of the water, you'll never thirst again? Yes, he did. If you remember that, John chapter 4, he had that conversation with the woman at the well. I think he was expounding on Isaiah 55, actually, when he was talking to her. And, and yet, I've just told you, you come every day to drink. Let me put it this way. I remember when my uh, youngest daughter, Leah, was about two or three years old, and um, she could always be found with, with one of those sippy cup things, you know? And thank God forever invented those things where, you know, you could stick it in the hand of a two-year-old, and it didn't leak unless they, you know, kind of sucked on it a little bit. Well, she'd been known to have one under this arm, one under that arm, and just go around all day with, with these sippy cups. And I remember one day she came to me, she's like, Daddy, I'm thirsty. So I took it, and I, I put juice in the cup, turned, uh, put it back on, handed it to her, and like five minutes later, she comes back, and the thing is completely empty. And she says, Daddy, I'm thirsty. So I'm looking at her. I'm like, I think you've had enough juice because you don't need any more energy. And if you know Leah, that's true. Um, so I, I just started filling it up with water. And she saw me putting water in it. She tugged on my pants like, I want juice. I'm like, oh, you're not asking me for liquid because you're dehydrated, you're asking me for liquid because you like the sweetness on your tongue. You're getting water. So I gave her water. But that's a picture of, of what it's like to be a Christian, right? Initially, we come to Christ. We respond to the invitation because we are absolutely spiritually dehydrated. And yet, every day we come back to taste the sweetness He's quenched our thirst, but we love the sweetness of our relationship with Jesus. So we come, all who are thirsty, and drink deeply from the fountain of living water. Every day we wake up, Lord, I'm thirsty. And if I don't drink deeply of you, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to be prone to dig a hole, try to create a broken cistern, and it's never going to satisfy. So I'm going to come again to you to quench my thirst. Here's the last point. Our thirst is quenchable. Our thirst is quenchable. Look at verse 8. For my thoughts are not as your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. Verse 9. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts your thoughts. Verse 10. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven, and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the very thing for which I sent it. My question to you is, what are you waiting for? Why don't you come? And drink deeply of the fountains of living water. And I know what some of your response is, well, I don't, I don't quite understand it. I don't, I don't really know how all this works. And I got all these questions about God and why would he allow certain things? And if I was God, I would do things differently. I'm not quite sure I can trust him. And, and I mean, everybody's got questions about God. And, and those questions don't all get answered when you come and drink deeply. You just get satisfied. And you get salvation. And he's saying here, do not let your unanswered questions keep you from drinking deeply of the Lord. 
Don't procrastinate until all of your thoughts are aligned with all of God's thoughts. It's not going to happen because we are pea brains. If somehow you think you can put all the information about, about God in between the space between your two ears, then you don't understand the infinite wisdom of God. You're never going to have all your thoughts align with all of God's thoughts. His ways and His thoughts are higher than our ways and our thoughts. By the way, I've met a lot of people who had to learn the hard way that God's ways are not our ways. Raise your hand if you're one of those knuckleheads that had to learn the hard way that God's ways are not like your ways. Don't let that prevent you from coming. You don't have to understand everything about God's Word to completely accept everything about God's Word. Don't lose confidence in God's Word. God will accomplish everything He's purposed. He says, my Word will not return turn empty. That's why every day... You need to get into God's Word. Every week, you need to show up, and somebody needs to spend some time putting something together from God's Word. It's the reason that we don't get real creative around here. We just open the Bible, and we let God's Word go out because it will always come back, fulfilling everything that God wanted it to accomplish. Look at verse 12. For you shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace. And the mountains and the hills before you shall break forth in singing, and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Anybody remember that old song? How many of you sang that song? Remember that one? Yeah, I had to teach it to Micah this morning. Um, verse 13, instead of the thorn shall come the cypress. Instead of the briar shall come the myrtle, and it shall make a name for the Lord, an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. Let me tell you the significance of those last two verses. Remember, Isaiah is speaking to a people who are about to watch their nation crumble. Their children are going to be taken out of the land into exile. And Isaiah is looking to the future saying, God's not finished with you. Come and be satisfied in the Lord. There will be a day when God will make all things right. Things that used to cause pain, like thorns, will be transformed into things that produce shade, like a cypress tree. God is going to ensure that the created order, the way that he designed it to work in the Garden of Eden, is going to eventually become the reality on earth. And in wrapping your mind around that, in inclining your ear and listening to the voice of the Lord, in putting your confidence and trust in the Word of God, you, right here, right now, in terrible conditions, no matter what you're suffering, no matter how bad the political situation is, you can be a person who has overwhelming joy, who can be led in peace, shalom, knowing God's got it all under control. But that is only possible if you respond appropriately 
to the invitation to come. So I want to give you that invitation right now. Would you just bow your heads, close your eyes here for a moment? On a snowy day like this, if you braved your life to get to church, you're probably somebody that was thirsty. It's like, I, I've got to get to the place. I've got to get to the living water. Congratulations. But there may be some, maybe even watching online, you have no idea how thirsty you are or didn't until you heard this message. And maybe you can identify some of those broken cisterns that you've been digging, spending your money on things that don't satisfy, working yourself into a frenzy, either trying to obtain, possess, experience something in this world that will bring some sense of satisfaction. Listen, your thirst will either drive you to God or it will drive you insane trying to quench your thirst by some other source. Seek the Lord. Come to Him. Turn from your wicked ways. Return to the Lord. Maybe you've strayed. And there was a time like you heard Reagan when I was 11. Man, I had such a heart for the Lord. Those teenage years, I, I sought the Lord, but you wandered away. and Maybe you got wrapped up in a career or a relationship. Maybe you got out of church. Maybe the pandemic has sent you into a world of information, searching for solutions and remedies. You've inclined your ear to everything but the Lord. Return. Come back. He will quench your thirst. You say, how do I do that? Just open your heart up to Him. Confess. Lord, I have dug holes, run to broken cisterns, relationships, chemicals, alcohol, sinful sex. The Lord invites you back. He's a God of compassion. He's the Lord, your Redeemer. Because Jesus was pierced on that cross, He became your substitute. And now He lives to serve you by forgiving, by pardoning. Come to Him. If you've never done that initially, fully, finally, come today. That would be your point of salvation. That would be the point which you are transformed from a lost, hell-bound sinner to a saved, forgiven, heaven-bound person in the family of God. Come to Him. At the end of this service, pastors and, and uh, prayer team leaders will be up here at the end of the service and in front. Would you come to them and just say, I think today is the day that I need to come and fully and finally surrender my life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Some of you need to be here tonight to be a part of the membership class and become a member of the church to realize you don't have to go through it alone. And if you've done that, 
then wake up every morning and resist the temptation to dig a hole. Run to the Lord and say, Lord, I'm thirsty. Quench my thirst. Lord Jesus, thank you that you are the fountain of living water. And Lord, this side of heaven, this side of eternity, we know that we'll always live in a dry and a weary land where there is no water. I pray that you'd raise up a remnant that values the covenant relationship that we have through Christ. Bring us to new levels of repentance and faith and belief. I pray that we would trust you every day in a way that brings fulfillment and satisfaction and significance, that there would be an overwhelming joy. We'd be led forth in peace, knowing that our salvation is secure in Christ, in whose name we pray, amen.